Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. Thanks and welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Today we return to the only Civil War battle that has its own magazine, the Battle of Gettysburg. Gettysburg also has plenty of published guidebooks to help you visit the site, but no guidebook quite like A Field Guide to Gettysburg, experiencing the battlefield through its history, places, and people. It's written by Carol Reardon and Tom Vossler, and we'll find out tonight from Colonel Tom Vossler what's in The Field Guide to Gettysburg on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's p-r-o-k-o-p-o-w-i-c-z-g at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to the show, Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University here in Greenville, North Carolina, on a chilly Wednesday evening in November 2013. 
The cold weather arrived here yesterday afternoon with great suddenness and temperatures went down 25 or 30 degrees in a day. There was a little bit of snow on my car when I got back to the parking lot after attending a uh, hockey game in Raleigh, watching the Carolina Hurricanes play the Colorado Avalanche, which as a Red Wings fan held no interest for me except the possibility of Avalanche injuries, uh, as I still cherish a long standing hatred for that team uh, going back to the 1990s. Uh, nonetheless, it was quite a good uh, a good match between the, the ex-Nordiques and the ex-Whalers, but we're not here to talk hockey tonight. Uh, we're not here to talk on behalf of the University of North Carolina system or ECU, even though I'm using their computer at this moment. My guest, likewise, will speak only for himself uh, and will uh, put the legalities behind us and move forward tell you what we're going to have on upcoming shows before we get into tonight's topic. Um, Next week, uh, Frank Varney will join us. He has written a book about U.S. Grant and uh, Grant's treatment, uh, written treatment of General Rosecrans and and history in general. Uh, Looks interesting. I'm looking forward to uh, breaking that one open in the week ahead, and we'll talk about it on uh, December 4th. Uh, then comes Thanksgiving, no no show the night before Thanksgiving, no live show. But we'll be back December 4th with Eric Jacobson from the uh, Battlefield of Franklin in uh, Tennessee. He also has a book about the, that campaign, uh, which uh, is, is hard to find, but very, uh, very well worth it. And then on uh, December 11th, James Oakes will join us to discuss Freedom National, his uh, large and important new book about the process of emancipation. We'll take the winter uh, break after that. Final exams will be upon us here at East Carolina, uh, the bowl game season, and lots of other things to distract uh, from from Civil War talk radio. I've said in the past that this is like an hour-long vacation during the week, and uh, it really is, uh, continues to be that here as uh, one one thing happens after another. The big news, and I'm trying to recall if I talked about it last week or not, but it's worth saying again, is in the news the possibility that our sister institution, Elizabeth City State University uh, in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, a few hours closer to the coast than we are, uh, may do away with its history undergraduate degree program. That is... Uh, the the UNC system regularly reviews programs to see if they are low-producing. And by low-producing, they mean small, so that ECU's public history program was considered low low productivity because we only had a few graduates. It doesn't matter how many resources you put in, how efficient you are, and this, it's just an absolute number of graduates. And the same standard applies to ECU with 27,000 students or Elizabeth City with 4,000 measure programs, do you have 20 graduates? Uh, It's hard to get over the statistical absurdity of it all, but the upshot is that on Elizabeth City's elimination list is political science, geology, I believe, physics, and history. Now, how a university could operate without those four departments is beyond anyone's imagination, but if you want to spare a minute to defend the discipline of history, uh, just Google the stories about it. It's in the Chronicle of Higher Education. It's elsewhere. And uh, 
send your thoughts to the provost at Elizabeth City and let him know that the idea of getting rid of history at what is itself a historically black university is not the way to uh, uh, to take our country forward uh, in any way and certainly not going to save very much money. Historians being about the lowest paid full-time faculty at any school, we're, we're not uh, uh, flush like the people in the hard sciences, but we like what we do, so it all works out. Anyway, that's what's been going on here, and I'm taking a vacation. No more talk about that for the next hour. Let's get back to the 19th century. Before we do, of course, don't forget to look at www.impedimentsofwar.org, where you can find out what's happening on the show, who's going to be on next. This week I received an email from, uh, not a listener probably, but from someone in China warning me that a uh, a firm in Kenya is going to adopt impediments of war with uh, Asian uh, suffix. The the I put the last two letters on there, and they I believe they want me to buy the Asian version of impediments of war domain name. Uh, a, a quick Google search revealed this to be a long running scam. Uh, you don't need to buy the Asian versions of your domain name from people who are doing this. But if you ever get confused and try to get on impedimentsofwar.cn and someone's speaking Chinese, it's not me. Uh, we're at impediment, we are here at uh, online at uh, impedimentsofwar.org and here at Voice America at Civil War Talk Radio. Well, enough business. Let's get to the fun part and bring in our guest tonight. Uh, he is the co-author of a book published by University of North Carolina Press called A Field Guide to Gettysburg. The subtitle is Experiencing the Battlefield Through Its History, Places, and People. Uh, the co-authors are Professor, Professor Carol Reardon at Penn State University, who I've invited to be on, and, and we keep meeting, and one of these days I'll get her to be on the show. But I'm very happy to have her co-author. Uh, he is uh, retired U.S. Army Colonel Thomas Vossler, uh, former director of the U.S. Army Military uh, History Institute, also a licensed battlefield guide at Gettysburg. Uh, Colonel Vossler, are you there? I am, Jerry. I am here. And that is indeed cold up here as well. In fact, we broke ice this morning in the cattle troughs for the cattle to get their water. So it's uh, fall is here and winter is not far behind. Well, where are you located? We're in Gettysburg. We're out, right outside. Uh, well, my wife Barbara and I operate a 60-acre farm just uh, west of the battlefield. Wonderful. What, what a, a great place to be. Do you interact much with the, the faculty at Gettysburg College? No, not so much Not so much at Gettysburg College. More more north of here at Carlisle Barracks with the Army War College is, is okay. most, of, most of our interaction. Yeah. Very good. And, and am I saying your last name right? Is it Vossler, Vossler? Bossler, yes. Bossler. I want to make sure I'm... Someone... A, a, a good German name, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Well, you and I haven't had the, the opportunity to meet, so could I ask you a little bit about your background? Sure, uh, yeah. Where, yeah. Mm-hmm. T- yeah. Tell me, uh, uh, you. It, it's just after Veterans Day, an appropriate day to uh, thank you and all uh, veterans on behalf of all Americans for uh, what you've done for us all. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about your service. Well, I will, and, and, and thanks for your thanks for your comments. Um, um, my wife and I grew up in western New York, southeast of uh, Buffalo, 
And then uh, after high school, I went off to what was then known as the Pennsylvania Military College. Today, it's Widener University. Uh, PMC in the days I attended was like uh, similar institutions that we know of now, BMI, the Citadel. Uh, those kind of institutions are still on the books, but, uh, but low enrollment during the Vietnam era uh, persuaded the Widener family of mainland Philadelphia to buy the school out, and so it's Widener University now. But I uh, was commissioned in the infantry in 1968, um, and... Uh, uh, of course, first duty station, as you can imagine, at that time nice. was uh, I was an infantry platoon leader in uh, in Vietnam and uh, and in Cambodia, and mm-hmm. uh, um, did well enough that and I thought well enough of, of my army service that I elected to stay in and, and retired after 30 years of service in 1998. I got my spurs and moved to the farm. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Now, yeah. you were, I'm reading the back of the book, it says you were a director of the U.S. Army Military History Institute, um, and there's a connection there with, with Gettysburg Guides uh, through uh, Harold Nelson. That's exactly uh, right. Now, he, exactly he right. Was, did he precede you? Uh, well, he was, Harold uh, uh, Nelson was, was, the, uh, was the chief of uh, military history for the army, and that is in the center of military history down in Washington. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas the uh, Military History Institute is a separate organization, separate mm-hmm. but corollary organization, where the uh, the center of military history writes the official history of the army. Uh, MHI is the unofficial history. That's where that's the repository for. Um, all of the uh, uh, memoirs and, and letters and diaries of soldiers of all ranks, from four-star generals down to down to privates, and uh, it's a great collection. It's got the Army's library of, of of military thought as far back as the late 1700s is is housed there, and so it's a great uh, for me coming in to that as the director of that institute in my in my later years in the Army. That was like a kid in a candy store. Yeah. Uh. It, it is a wonderful place. I've done some research there uh, sure, many yeah, years ago yeah. now, but it, it is a, a marvelous collection, uh, really wow. worth uh, looking at. You can't do Civil War or any American military history without it. The uh, well, well, Hal Nelson co-authored a Gettysburg Battlefield Guide, the uh, U.S. Ar- in the U.S. Army War College mm-hmm. uh, series, yeah. mm-hmm. and I've. I've carried that one on the field uh, many times. It's it's getting kind of tattered now. Other than the fact that it's physically falling apart, uh, why do we need a new guide to Gettysburg with with that one already out there? Well, that that guide that, that Hal Nelson and his his co-author in that was Jay Luvas, and there's mm-hmm. a tie-in. There's a tie-in here between between those two gentlemen and and Carol and myself, and, and perhaps later we can talk about that, but. Um, that guide was out there, and, and, and like you, my, mine is, is, is thumb-warned and, and, and just, you know, really well-used, uh, not only Gettysburg, but Antietam and, and others. Mm-hmm. And, but as, as Carol and I were offered the opportunity from University of North Carolina Press to put into print what she and I have collaborated on for many years here on the Gettysburg battlefield, and that is telling the story the way we tell the story. I mean, there's a story to be told, but we don't all tell it the same way. And 
they thought well enough of, of our methodology, which, by the way, we learned from Hal Nelson and Jay Luvas, and we've kind of expanded it. And so that gave rise to that gave rise to the current book, A Field Guide to Gettysburg. I notice your book is dedicated to uh, uh, to the late Dr. Luvas. Uh, is that so? T- tell me about your relationship. Well, um, Carol. In Carol's case, she was she was a biology major at Allegheny College, and she encountered this history professor there named Jay Luvas, who convinced her to switch majors, which is very provident yes. for her. In my case, uh, when I came back, I was in battalion command, uh, infantry battalion command in Germany in the mid, uh, well, I came back from Germany in 1988 as a student at the Army War College, and Professor Jay Luvas uh, was the leading military historian at the Army War College at the time, and he offered on the weekends a special non-credit course called uh, Ride with the Great Captains. And I said, you know, that's something I want to take advantage of. So I did that. And uh, basically it was the Civil War battlefields in the East that we would go out on weekends and do a detailed uh, uh, study those battlefields and and so in that way he really kind of defined my interest in military history i mean my interest in military history spans several centuries but he helped me to kind of refine and define that interest into the american civil war and so for that reason then for both of us on both of our parts and the dedication of the book goes back to goes back to jay because he was a great he was a great uh, historian, a great teacher, and a great example to follow on how to lead a group of people across a Civil War battlefield. Well, that has certainly become a uh, uh, you know an art form. Uh, one one could say that there are uh, there are people who are known for for doing that. You said that your style uh, of, of the kind of tours that you give is what led to this book being created. Right. And what, what I'm going to do is propose we'll take a short break now and come back and launch into uh, how you define and, and describe the Battle of Gettysburg. It, it's a battle our listeners, I know, are familiar with, uh, but what, what, I, what I know I'm interested in and I think they are as well is, is the unique approach uh, embodied in this book. So that's what we're going to do is take a short break Come back, talk more with Tom Vossler. He is the co-author, along with Carol Reardon, of A Field Guide to Gettysburg, Experiencing the Battlefield Through Its History, Places, and People. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. 
Can you keep up? These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu. Dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to the show. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Tom Vossler. He's the co-author of A Field Guide to Gettysburg. It's a new and really uh, delightful and, and useful uh, guide to take with you when you next visit the battlefield at Gettysburg, as I'm sure most people listening to the show have done or are planning to do or will do again. Um, one of the things about this book is it is heavy um, for its size. It it's, looks like eight by six approximately. Uh, not it, It's compact. You can carry it in the field, but it's has glossy paper uh, and, and weighs a lot. It feels compact. And, Tom, I mentioned that not frivolously, but because if you're going to take this in the field, you want a book that is not going to uh, be damaged. I was walking my dogs this morning while uh, multitasking and reading it with one <laughs> hand, and the big dumb dog, not the smart, smaller dog, uh, jerked. The, and I dropped the book in the dirt, and I picked it up, and I'm brushing the dirt off the pages, and it's like good as new. And, yeah. and did you have any input into how this book was produced? Oh so yeah, we, we did. We did, uh, and uh, with the publisher, and, and because what we wanted was was a book really dual purpose, a book that, as you say, could be taken into the field and used in inclement weather if if, if necessary. I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't always judge your 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 visit to the battlefield by what the weather conditions are going to be, but uh, a book that's durable in the field, uh, and and also a book that can be at the same time can be used in your armchair at home uh, to understand to to do the reading and 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 with the writing that we've done the way we've put it together we feel that that uh, the armchair historian at home can can take the book and and follow with good measure the progress of the battle over the three days. But uh, 
Yeah, that's that's one of the things that that was one of the requirements, and and I think I think that the press, North Carolina press, uh, uh, came up with that in, in good fashion. Well, it is it is a very handsome book. It is filled with uh, you know, color colorful uh, photographs, color photographs, excellent maps. Uh, but you said that you have uh, you and, and Carol Reardon have a way of telling the story, and that's really the secret behind this. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, what 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 makes it different is is I mean you know not not to not to uh, not to understate what uh, what Hal Nelson and Jay Louvas accomplished in their volume uh, their their Army War College Guide. I mean very very useful and and you know we we still I I've got two two copies on my bookshelf and as I say both are well worn, but. Carol and I have done a number of programs over the years on the battlefield, and we have a certain way of telling the story. And and that really gave uh, gave the outline for for the book. Um, perhaps the first departure is that we've divided the battlefield into 35, 35 different stops. And at each stop, we ask and answer the same six questions. What happened here? Question number one. Question number two, uh, who fought here? What were the units? Who are the units involved? And we get a chance to talk a little bit about those units. Third, who commanded here? And, uh, and that's where we talk a little bit, little bit about the generals. Um, and then uh, who lived here on the battlefield? Whose land was this? And that goes back to when I first started guiding 15 years ago. A lady asked me, and she didn't ask me, she made a statement. She said she thought it was very thoughtful that they held the battle in a national park. <laughs> <laughs> At which point I had to remind her, no, no, this was somebody's home. This was somebody's farm. The battle's fought over. And then who fell here? And the who fell here question gives us the chance that we, we've always wanted, and that is to reach down and talk about the soldiers. Talk about the privates. Talk about the sergeants and, and their role in the battle, which we thought has been very important. Certainly my 30 years of military experience tells me that without the soldiers, you don't need all the colonels and generals. <laughs> And secondly, so many books have been written about the colonels and generals. I mean, why would we want to write another one? I noticed you had Tom Carhart on here a few weeks ago in his, Me- his book about General Meade. Yes. And a very fine book. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's no need for us to retell his story. It's already been done in fine fashion. But what we don't know throughout the literature, what we don't have are a lot of accounts about the individual soldiers. And then the last, the last question we ask is, well, so what? So what? What they had to say about it later, and that's where we get into newspaper accounts and letters and memoirs and diaries, and record the soldiers' feeling, uh, the soldiers' observations about the battle, and that's really a different format than than the others that are out there, and we think that's what makes it our our book, our field guide. Distinctive from the others. Well, the uh, you know, when, when you say we don't always have the, the story of the individual soldier uh, for for some battles, and particularly for Gettysburg, I can see on my shelf the uh, the big orange volumes uh, uh, 
that that Fonz uh, wrote that, that mm-hmm. give us yeah. almost a blow by blow account. Right. But then I, in, in reading your book, I don't even finish the first chapter before I come across a uh, a quote that I had not seen before. Not that I've read everything there is or even all that much necessarily, but the description, uh, I think it is from the 24th, uh, from Curtis's uh, book on the 24th Michigan, uh, describing how soldiers didn't uh, focus on the details of the landscape around them when they're fighting. They're too busy fighting. Right. And he says, you know, you, 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 then years later, somebody says, oh, that hill you were on, that was called Cemetery <laughs> Hill. And then you yeah. start calling it Cemetery Hill and how the stories grow over time. But I thought it was a wonderful quote, and I do always keep an eye out for that kind of tactical vignette, that description of what actually happened on the ground. And uh, the impression I have is you found some, you tell some, you do indeed tell stories that haven't been told before. Well, and, and, and that, that is a, a couple things involved there, Jerry. Is, is one is, is we, we've, uh, in the in the research for this book, we've kind of leveraged the 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 digital age, in, in that in that uh, um, we're at a point in time now where we don't have to go down to Washington to sit for hours and hours upon hours in the National Archives to try and dig out stories. Um, uh, a lot of the collections of the men who served are in digital format. And we can access them on the computer from from our our office or our own personal library, and and that gives us that uh, that additional uh, advantage there in being able to bring out, to find, and bring out, and include then in a book like this uh, those stories. And and I think the second feature is that you know Carol's been uh, been around the military, even though she's a civilian professor at Penn State, she's been around the military for some years. And of course, my service, uh, 30 years in the Army, is is, is a combat infantryman and, and uh, infantry armored uh, force commander. Um, it gives a certain perspective to the soldier's thoughts. I mean, when you're under fire, you're in combat, your horizon is very short. It's what 50 to 100 meters in front of you, and maybe maybe you know 45 degrees to either side. I mean, that's that's the world that you know. That's the world that you remember because you haven't seen anything else yet. And so that's really what we tried to what we tried to include in the book. I think that that well, your your experience must bring then a perspective that uh, those of us who who write about the Civil War but have not experienced uh, military conflict, you know, just can't. Can't match that. Can't uh, uh, you know? Have no equivalent. Uh, but let me push on that point. How uh, how many? What what are the commonalities? Do you think between your experience and those of the the men in, in July eighteen sixty three? Uh, is there a danger that you you could carry back your impressions uh, that might not apply to that era? Well, I, I I would suppose there is there is that danger there is that danger, but but on the other hand, then having experienced that through memory, we remember uh, how that registered in our mind, and what we would be searching for in our research is is the comments, the words, their descriptions 
that, that, that kind of reach the same thing. I mean, you know, you read, read one account from another and, and you say, well, you know, I don't know if this guy actually was there or he's just repeating something that someone told him who was there or, or did he actually experience it. And, 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 and I think in their descriptions, that helps us evaluate the worthiness of, of that material, of, the, of those citations that we're going to include or not include in the book. And uh, I think that's where, that's where we have the advantage. And, and, again, we see our job as being an artist. In other words, when we have a client on the field, what we wish to do is to paint a picture. We wish to appeal not only the words that we're telling them, but include their vision, what they can see from the spot. As an example, you go to stop two. Stand beside Buford's statue. Look in the same direction he's looking. Look at the barn with the red roof. Across the road, look at the barn silo. That is her ridge. Pegram's artillery battalion will occupy it with 22 cannon. They're going to be shooting artillery right where you're standing. You see, and it's, and it's that kind of thing that we, we, we try to do in the book the same way we would if we had a client or a client group on the battlefield in describing the visual scene that then they can become involved in. They can hear it in their ears of what we're telling them, but they can see it laying out on the ground. And so I think that's important into the, into the construct of the book and how we, how we organized it. If you're, and you mentioned the value of this for the, the armchair reader as well. And if, mm-hmm. if you open, you know, there's yeah. a spread, page 38, 39, with exactly that <laughs> photograph you're describing. There's the red barn, there's the McPherson barn in front. And it, I mean, I, I've been there. Uh, this is familiar ground. I look and I say, oh, yeah, I, I, I see all this. And yet someone who's never been there likewise can look and say, okay, I can picture now that's where the Confederate cannon are on that ridge over there. It's, uh, I mean, the book really does help the the visitor or the person at home thinking about visiting you know, get a feel for what's there. Now, you just mentioned clients a couple of times. Uh, who do you give tours to? Well, in, in, the, in the first instance, I, I am a licensed guide now since, uh, since I retired from the Army. I was very fortunate to be one of those who passed the written exam on first go mm. and then passed my oral. So I was hired. Or in fact, I was, I was eligible to guide uh, as of the spring of uh, uh, 1998. I retired from the Army in October. So individual clients, family tours. Uh, individual, I had a fellow up from Texas the other day. We spent eight hours, just the two of us, uh, doing, doing the battlefield. So it's, it's that kind of individual. But the other thing is that I get involved in uh, really kind of two different things is because of my military background, I end up, um, doing a lot of, uh, military staff rides. Some of these, Carol and I are, have been partners with over, over the years. Um, but I'd end up doing a lot of military staff rides, particularly for the U.S. military. And, but also, I guess, my, my next to the U.S. military, my leading candidate is the Deutsche Bundeswehr, the German Armed Forces, where I do a series of leadership staff rides. I do four a year for, for, uh, for the Bundeswehr. And, again, you know, that's, that's part of, of, of as, as a soldier... As part of professional professional development, 
And then um, I'm also involved with uh, giving leadership seminars to civilian corporations in, in, uh, because military leadership is, in fact, transferable to civilian leadership, the basic principles. I mean, certainly the, the situations are different, mm-hmm. but we use the battlefield as a classroom, and we draw out from our experience on the battlefield as a classroom uh, examples of, of leadership that, that are indeed transferable from, from the military venue, from the historical venue, to the practical everyday application in any civilian corporation. About, uh, must have been 15 years ago when I was working at the Lincoln Museum, which at that time was uh, sponsored by what is now Lincoln Financial Group. They sent a group of executives to Gettysburg and hired uh, someone there to to do just the kind of leadership seminar you're talking about. And mm-hmm. since I was working for them in their museum as a historian, I went along as the in-house historian and right. uh, was able to tell some some stories that related both to the world of leadership in the insurance world and, and what happened in 1863. In preparing for that and doing some reading, I came across uh, an exchange of letters in one of the Civil War magazines at the time talking about the whole idea of uh, – there were some readers who were criticizing the idea of using sacred ground, hallowed ground to help somebody meet their quarterly expected (laughs) profit. Uh, And then there were others who took a different view. you know, your perspective as somebody who, you know, who, who has actually served as well as studied the past, uh, I, I'd be interested in knowing how you see that. Well, I see it this way. I mean, we have to remember this battlefield um, was established as a as a national military park in 1895 under the administration of the War Department, and they uh, arranged the battlefield. They they did projects, uh, construction projects to set up the battlefield for military personnel to come here and, and, and use the facilities to study, to study military leadership. Um, but still again, the, the skills of the leader, you take them out of the military environment and put them in the, in the civilian environment, the skills necessary, um, the consequences certainly are different but the skills necessary to be an effective leader, to lead the organization, and we're talking here about organizational effectiveness and those kinds of things. Um, the skills are very, very similar in terms of the leadership skills. And, uh, and uh, the, the, uh, to, to impart those messages, to, to, to further that education, to stimulate the mind, to bring a group of, if you will, of the civilian corporate body out of the offices of wherever onto a battlefield and expose them to that environment that stimulates the mind. It's a different venue. It's a different uh, um, uh, venue to open up, kind of open up the mind and take in the lessons. And, and the lessons are so numerous. Take in the lessons of, of in this case, leadership, of organizational effectiveness, of team building, and uh, and uh, I don't think uh, I don't see anything anything wrong with taking advantage of that. I mean, that's what it's set up for to educate the people, to educate the people about the Civil War, 
about the Battle of Gettysburg, about warfare in general, about democracy, um, about uh, free enterprise. That's what it's here for. Well, it's hard to argue with any of those concepts. We're going to take another short break. We'll come back in a moment. We're talking today with Tom Vossler, co-author of A Field Guide to Gettysburg. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. We've been talking this evening with Tom Vossler, co-author of A Field Guide to Gettysburg, about the, which is a uh, new, published in 2013, uh, field guide, uh, literally, that you take with you when you go to Gettysburg and uh, guides you around the battlefield, has wonderful maps, also has uh, great photographs and description throughout. So if you're just reading it at home, it's still a valuable tool for understanding what happened in those three days in July. Uh, Tom, I wanted to ask you about uh, the battle itself, uh, if we could, in our last segment sure. here. Yeah. The, uh, uh, you mentioned uh, the, the new book about General Meade that came out uh, earlier this year. Uh, there's always uh, controversy and, and discussion about how various uh, people performed in the battle, uh, I think my introduction to Gettysburg 
as a, a by personal introduction was on a visit there when I was maybe ten years old in a park uh, service ranger was taking a group around that I was in and I asked him something about uh, sickles and his behavior on July second and he engaged me and talked to me about it and treated me like I was not uh, a freakish kid to know something like that. Uh, and I realized, hey, I'm not the only one. There's a whole world of people who who, who care about this or interested in this. And it really, yeah. you know, here I am teaching history for a living. Uh, it, it really set me on a course. And so I, I've maintained a strong interest ever since about the, the controversy over Sickles and his uh, decision to move Third Corps out uh, out to the Emmitsburg right. Road. Mm-hmm. What's your position on that? Uh, well, that I'm, <laughs> I have to say I'm somewhat ambivalent uh, <laughs> on it. Uh, Good I mean, on, yes. on the one hand, if, if if you look at what he did, you know, I'm totally out of step with with uh, with with the rest of the Army of the Potomac, and 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 without without certainly without without the permission uh, of General Meade, who's very surprised once he realizes. What Sickles has done, how far forward deployed he is, uh, so he's not he's not in step with with the, with the rest of the army. And then you turn that coin over and you and you look at Longstreet's comments about the second day, and you see Longstreet is is basically saying, and, and I'm not I can't quote him verbatim, but but uh, certainly in his in his uh, writings. Uh, says that if Sickles had not done that, that there was high probability that uh, that the First Corps, the Hoods and McLaws divisions, would have been able to bust through the position back further back, three quarters of a mile further back, where Sickles was supposed to have been. Uh, that they would not have had to fight that long distance, that three quarters of a mile from the Emmitsburg Road back to Cemetery Ridge, and 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 and, uh, and they would have had their Full strength combat power, and they would have still had, they would not have lost the, the numbers that they did, that not have, not have spilled their own blood as they did, and have not spent as much time as they did in getting back to the ridge, and then in all probability, in Longstreet's view, they would have broken through there. And so, you know, I mean, it's, it's really, it is perhaps the most interesting, uh, feature of, of, of the Gettysburg story is is that just that section there on on sickles on the second day and what could have been what should have been what might have been and and was he right or was he wrong well i guess you know if you if you try not to be too partisan one way or the other then you got to be somewhat ambivalent about mm-hmm. about how you look at it do you think that would uh... Is there any moment when the Confederates could have won the battle? If, if Sickles had stayed back, would that have been the best chance? Well, I've always I, what, what, what I've always thought was was that if if the Army of the Potomac were to have lost the battle at Gettysburg, that was the point at, and that was the time when they would have lost it. When they would have lost it, and, and the only place that comes second second best is the end of the first day. If if the Confederates, uh, if if Ewell had made his attack as Lee had wished him to do, if Lee had committed Anderson's division, which was in reserve at the time and available to continue the push, as Hancock told his wife that there was a period of time between around no 
5 o'clock in the afternoon of July 1st, if the Confederates had come on again, they would not have been able to hold the high ground south of the town. And so that would have kind of, kind of come up second place, but first place for me was the best chance the Confederates had to win and the, and the, and the Federals to lose was, was there on the south end of Cemetery Ridge late in the afternoon of July 2nd. Now, I notice you don't mention Pickett's charge, and as I think about it, very few authors seriously argue that that had any remote chance of success. And yet, everybody's heard of it. It's uh, you know as famous a moment in the Civil War as as exists. Uh, why why so much interest in that? Given that militarily it was a foregone conclusion. Well, I think I think that it goes back in, in large measure to to. Uh to the human interest aspect of it, and uh, in, in subsequent subsequent to the battle and in and, and, and later years, I mean, you know, my 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 battlefield partner Carol Reardon, of course, has one of the best books on Pickett's Charge, Pickett's Charge and History and Memory, which was what two thousand and six, I think, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that becomes a very revered. Part of the Gettysburg story, in larger in, in, in large measure, because of the newspaper accounts. If you go out there now and, and look at the monuments there on West Confederate Avenue, you'll find that the, the the inscriptions on the bronze tablets on the monuments refer to Longstreet's assault of the third day at Gettysburg. Hmm. That's Pickett's charge, <laughs> because once the newspaper correspondents on the Confederate side. Uh, do their work, and they're principally from Virginia and principally from Richmond. Then they're going to change. They're going to change the story, the nature of the story. They're going to change the title of the whole affair to biggest charge. Much to the neglect of the North Carolinians, the Tennesseans, the Alabamians, who and and even more Virginians and Brock and Brawl's Brigade, who are going to make the same assault. But are not counted uh, in uh, really in, in in the modern historical interpretation of the thing which we call Pickett's Charge. So I think it's it's more of a of a popular history uh, sentiment than it is a military history evaluation of the event. Military history evaluation of the event is. Uh, it doesn't go very well. Yeah. Bordering on, bordering on, certainly on, uh, on disaster. But uh, let me ask about the battlefield itself. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The on on the plus side, the uh, Park Service has been you know, cutting trees and, and changing the the field to look more the way it did in 1863. On the minus side. Uh, the the casino word the casino just keeps coming back uh, year after year somebody keeps talking about it uh what's your thoughts about the long term prospects for Gettysburg National Military Park well let's let's let's, uh, let's talk about the casino issue first because i think it's a dead issue i mm. mean that that ugly thing has raised its head twice now mm-hmm. and the community at large here at Gettysburg has stood up and said, not here. You're not going to put it here. And so twice that's been turned away. And 
I think, turned away with enough force that I don't think there are any investors out there willing to uh, put the money down to try and do it a third time. Well, that, that's so I think, a, I think that's, that's a dead, very encouraging. I think that's a dead issue. The battlefield rehab by the Park Service has been very controversial here, and it's gone on now for, what, some seven years. Uh, on the plus side, they have restored to us the vision site of key features of the battlefield. And as I said earlier, a part of my job as a licensed guide is to take the client or client group out there and paint a picture for them uh, and give them the words to kind of fill in the details, but paint the picture. There are lots of locations on the field now where we no longer have to say, look out there, do you see those woods? Imagine those woods not to be there because there were no woods growing there in 1863. We no longer have to do that in a lot of areas. We can look out. We can stand at Little Round Top. We can look, say, look out there. Can you see the Alabama Monument there on South Confederate Avenue? That's Longstreet's right on July 2nd. And you see the Bushman Farm. And the Texans were just behind where you see that white barn and that house there. And that's where they were. And they can clearly be seen by the Union gunners down here below us. Smith's Battery on Devil's Den can clearly see those boys. And in their commentary, the Southerners talk about the artillery fire from Smith's Battery at Devil's Den. And so it's, it, uh, there's a lot of areas where we've done some good there. Now, going over to the other side, there are some areas that we had to have wished that we could not, that they had not taken down as many of the non-historic wooded areas as they did, even though they were non-historic. We know that from the maps of the Corps of Engineers constructed immediately after the battle. There were no trees. Oak Hill is a great example. Go to Oak Hill in July now. There's probably two or three little groups of trees that you can put a visitor under for shade in the middle of July to talk about the fighting at Oak Hill and Oak Ridge because the rest of the trees have been removed from the hill. They weren't there in 1863. So from a historical standpoint, that's good. But from you know the 21st century, wouldn't we love to have a little more shaded area up there to do that? But in balance, I would say that what the Park Service has done with Battlefield Rehab, uh, which caused a mini civil war here for a period of time, there's no question about it, between the conservationists who wanted the birds and the deer and then the historians who wanted less... Let's see how close we can get to 1863 um, appearance. Uh, imbalance. I think I think the Park Service has done has done a good job. They've they've really made it more beneficial to the visitor to the battlefield, and for them to be able to appreciate the viewscape that we can put them on when we tour the field. Well, it is a, a magnificent place to visit. We've got just a, a, a brief minute left. Quick final question: Do you have any plans for other guides or other writings? Yeah, we're 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 visiting that issue right now. The most immediate thing I can tell you for sure is this: the publisher, our publisher, has has given us the opportunity to put this book into uh, ebook version, hmm. uh, and doing that allows us to put back. Uh, we got a, you know, we labored 18 months to put this thing together, and then back this past January, we got an email that said your book's too long. You have to take 30% of it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Uh, Taking the stuff out was was more difficult than putting it in. Sure. Just looking what to come out. I'm talking about not only narrative but photographs and that kind of thing. The ebook version and going with that uh, that allows to put all that stuff back in and some expansion in terms of what we call excursions, like the first shot marker and Longstreet's counter march and the South Cavalry battlefield and. That kind of thing will go back into the electronic version, and that's going to be the first thing before we consider doing anything else. And certainly doing other battlefields with this format is very attractive uh, to us in, in, uh, in, in doing that, and it's worthy of consideration, but we're going to do the ebook version first. Well, that is something for us all to look forward to. I am really looking forward to my next visit to Gettysburg and having this in my hand and being able to look around uh, and, and be guided by it and, and enjoy it. And listeners, uh, you will want a copy of this book from the University of North Carolina Press. Uh, the authors are Carol Reardon and Tom Vossler, our guest tonight. The book is A Field Guide to Gettysburg, Experiencing the Battlefield Through Its History, Places, and People. Uh, Tom, uh, Colonel Vossler, it's been a pleasure talking with you and, and uh, a delight to look at your book. Thank you, Jerry, for inviting me. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.